Welcome to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. In recent years, we've heard a lot about the potential of emerging markets across all industries. So obviously, emerging markets have and will continue to have an impact on the sponsorship industry of huge significance and leading the way is China. With 1.38 billion people, it represents a significant and mostly untapped market and the government has targeted a US $813 billion sports industry in the next seven and a half years. And that has fueled major investment across all aspects of sports, including events, facilities, teams, leagues, and, and really importantly, grassroots programs. In fact, in researching for this podcast, I used a population clock to determine the 1.38 billion Chinese population. Staggeringly, every 5.3 seconds, China's population went up by one person. And using my very basic math skills and Google, I figured out that with the Chinese government's seven and a half year US $813 billion sports industry target, that by then the population would have added another 47.3 million people. The mind boggles, but to help us understand the emerging Chinese market, and as part of our series exploring Nielsen Sports and Entertainment's commercial trends in sports, of which number one is the emergence of new sporting powers led by China, Claude Ringwet, Managing Director Southeast Asia and Greater China, will join us on the show. Welcome to episode 39 I'm your host, Daniel Loyson, and it's awesome to have you join us wherever you are in the world. We love hearing from you, the listeners, and whenever we do, we always promise a shout-out. So, a shout-out to Mitchell Wiley, Senior Marketing Manager, Sponsorship and Retail at Nissan Motor Corporation Australia, who connected with me on LinkedIn recently and very kindly wrote, Hi, Daniel. Thanks for connecting. I just wanted to congratulate you on the Inside Sponsorship Podcast. I've really been enjoying it. It's nice to hear from other industries around the sponsorship landscape. Mitchell, thanks very much for the connection and the very kind words. I hope all is well at Nissan. Also joining us on the podcast, as usual, is our MD, Mark Thompson, who, whenever we welcome a Nielsen staff member on the show to discuss one of their commercial trends, he will also blog about the topic through the lens of what that trend means for the sponsorship industry. So regular listeners will know that we would we would normally cut to Mark's chat around about now, but in Mark's blog and chat, he discusses four things sponsorship managers should know when looking at China. And so I thought those things would be better understood after the context and the broader chat with Claude from Nielsen. Emerging markets are increasingly engaging with and investing in top-level sports. The next three Olympic Games will be staged in Asia, while Russia and Qatar are the next two FIFA World Cup hosts. And of course, the Rugby World Cup will be hosted by Japan. Mexico is investing heavily in sports and major events, while markets like Turkey, Indonesia and Thailand face challenges but have undeniable growth potential. However, through all that, China is leading the way. The government target to create US $813 billion sports industry by 2025 has fueled major investment across all aspects of sports. Alibaba's long-term partnership with the IOC and Wanda Group's new partnership with FIFA have made headlines, but both companies are laying foundations in other sports. World Rugby has built a strategic partnership with Alibaba, while World Cycling Governing Body, the UCI, has a long-term agreement in place with Wanda. As an experienced C-level leader with extensive commercial experience in both mature and emerging growth markets, and as Nielsen's Managing Director, Southeast Asia and Greater China, Claude Ringwet is well-placed to help us understand the emerging superpower that is the Chinese market. Claude has deep management consulting experience and has led teams across Asia-Pacific and North America covering business development and strategy in a wide range of industries. He has extensive experience in consumer products, retail, sports, pharmaceutical, technology and logistics. Here's Claude. Claude Ringwet, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. We always kick off with a few easy icebreaker questions just to, to get the answers flowing and, and give the audience a little bit of an, an insight into the type of person you are. Uh, and so the first question is, apart from the obvious answers of family and pets and laptop and phone, if your house was on fire, 
What is the first thing you make sure you grab on the way out? Fantastic question, and I think the only way I could answer it is it would have to be my wife. Um, I, I thought about that for a moment because I thought I would take my pet dog, um, <laughs> but I'd need to take my wife, so that would be uh, number one. All right. <laughs> Very good. Second icebreaker question, what was your first ever job? Somewhat embarrassing, but I was a sales kid in a surf shop. So I uh, grew up doing a bit of surfing in the eastern beaches of Sydney and managed to get a job with uh, one of my sponsors. Uh, the sad thing was that I became quite addicted to the bikini section of, uh, of the shop, much to the chagrin of the owners. But uh, look, it was a great way to uh, to build a career in, uh, in sports, which I've now done. Very good. I mean, now we're more mature. We just call that networking. Um, Claude, what was your what, what's been your pathway leading up to your current role at Nielsen Sports now? So, as, as some of the people on the call podcast may know, I was uh, previously at Repicom, so I was the managing director and head of consulting for Repicom in Southeast Asia and Hong Kong prior to our acquisition last year by Nielsen. And before that, uh, I was midlife crisis running the consumer products and retail business for SAP in Asia, Pacific and Japan. So a little different to the sports business I'm now leading here in the region. And as you said, you're now in Nielsen and, and leading the sports business in the region. You're the managing director, Southeast Asia and Greater China. That sounds like a massive market to look after. What are your main focuses in the, in the role and, and how do you generally structure your week or, or even maybe your month to ensure you stay on top of everything in such a big market? Look, great question. The, the priority for my role right now is to, to really continue to grow at a double-digit pace here in the, the region and we're really doing that by helping a lot of our clients drive more success in the investments they make in sport. It's, you're right, it's a, it's a massively complex market. We have uh, over 10 languages alone in Southeast Asia. Then when you add in China, number of dialects you have to manage and so on is enormous. For me, it's really a case of getting the priorities right um, and balancing our approach to the market in very mature markets from a commercial perspective like Singapore and Hong Kong to very different propositions we face in markets like Myanmar and, and Cambodia. Uh, at the end of the day, other than managing my suitcases and travelling on a weekly basis, the, the priority really now is is on the booming sports industry in China. That's where uh, the majority of my time and energy is now pointed towards and really helping both rights holders and brands deliver the success they're trying to achieve in that Chinese market. And focusing on China and some of those clients that you work with, can you tell us a, a little bit about some of those clients that you work with in China? Sure. Look, we've been really lucky at, at Nelson Sports and prior to that at, at Repicom at having a, a very good portfolio of clients which originally emanated out of Hong Kong rather than the mainland. Uh, but we've managed to work across just the spectrum of uh, global and local rights holders, the major sports agencies, uh, major brands investing in sport, as well as some of the government uh, departments across mainland China and Hong Kong. Uh, some of the marquee clients like NBA, we've worked for a number of years now with NBA China to really help them drive the effectiveness of their programs, whether that's the NBA 5 on 5, uh, the Chinese New Year celebrations or the global games. Uh, we've worked and advised agencies like Wanda, Irena around their volleyball assets, Catalyst, uh, on really how to optimise their rights and then measure those outcomes from a sponsorship perspective for brand partners. We've also done a lot with uh, the local brands. We've been fortunate to work with Tencent uh, quite heavily and have some good partnerships with them in, in China. Uh, and the brands like Vivo, Huawei, Hisense, a lot of these local brands who are also looking at investing uh, in sport, both in the domestic market and globally. So uh, a great portfolio of clients that we've been working with. And let, let's set the scene around those clients and, and the broader sponsorship market in China. Let's baseline China's maturity against, I don't know, for example, the UK as a mature market. Just for argument's sake, if the UK is a, is a 10, the maximum, it's very mature, where is China and what are the reasons that that market isn't as mature as something like the UK? 
Oh, that's a tough one. Great question. Um, <laughs> well, I think at the moment I would I would say it's about a four or five out of out of ten. And I guess to to add colour to that, I think that's that's really from the context of how sports are managed and run at a league level. I think if I looked at it from a kind of national sports program and Olympic kind of level, uh, I would rate rate it a bit higher. I think the general administration of sport who are effectively running sport in China, I think have some of the most rigorous grassroots and sort of talent identification programs that really lead to uh, Olympic and national team success in many areas. Um, but I think, yeah, if you look at the domestic uh, program, it, it would be about a four or five. And, and I think the reason I think it's like that is that I think, as I said, most of the investments have been focused at, on the Olympic-type programs. Um, and I think it's it's really only been in, in the recent sort of decade or uh, maybe two that you've started to see some real marquee athletes from China take a, a position on the world stage. And I think Yao Ming was, was kind of number one. But then you've got some of the tennis players like Li Na and Zheng Ji badminton you've got Lindan so you've got some athletes now who've really uh, helped up the maturity level in some of these major sports in China um, but I think if we kind of step away from sports and organization of sports I think when it comes to commercialization uh, I actually think from a maturity level they've they've really done a good job I think they have platforms in place that are far more sophisticated than what Western markets had in the time frame China's had. So Weibo, WeChat, Sina, all of these platforms are incredibly sophisticated from a technical and an e-commerce perspective. Uh, and I think that's why we're starting to see sponsorship investments and investment in sport really move quickly uh, in China compared to what was probably seen in mature markets some time ago. And what are some of the things that you think will help the Chinese sponsorship market ensure that they mature to a higher level than, you know, around about a five? Well, I think a couple of things. I think they they really have to look at how they're packaging um, entitlements and how rights holders are really creating more compelling stories for, for brands and target brand partners. And I think for brands, it's really uh, a lot at the moment about education and uh, getting more sophisticated with why they make the decisions they do uh, to invest in sport. A lot of it historically has, and, and even now, is still driven by you know, state-owned enterprises being uh, compelled in many ways by the state to invest in sport. Um, there's also a lot of the uh, chairman's choice type philosophy, which is very prevalent in, in Asia, uh, that is really uh, counter productive I think to uh, to sponsorship uh, so I think it's really going to be about brands uh, getting a lot more sophisticated with setting objectives and then working with rights holders to really uh, define how to achieve those ex- objectives and measuring that success so I think they have to go through that process uh, there is a lot more demand now in China to really get to the bottom of the return on investment uh, that they're making from these investments in sport but it's going to take some time, so I think it's uh, it's a journey, uh, and they're at the early stages. But I think in the sponsorship space, you you touched on it briefly just then around state-owned enterprises and government investment. Obviously, there's a lot of change happening in China, particularly as they emerge as a as a big market in sports. It is being fueled by state-owned enterprises and government investment. Can you outline a little bit more about what's being done on that front? Absolutely. Look, I think uh, there's massive push uh, from the Chinese government, obviously, in sport. It's, it's seen as a major play for them now. Uh, general administration of sport uh, has invested huge sums of money now to grow the industry. So when you have to look back 12 months ago, the stated goal coming from the president uh, of China was the creation of an $813 billion sports industry by 2025. Uh, and to have the world's leading domestic football league by 2050. That's taken incredibly seriously by the general administration of sport, and the, the money they're throwing behind it is you know, unparalleled, I think. There's been $2 billion spent alone in the last two years on investments in football, both domestically and globally. Uh, there's 
investments that we've seen recently from Alibaba committing $100 million over 10 years to world rugby. You've got agencies like Wanda investing in UCI to create new events and tournaments. Uh, and this is all helping create infrastructure uh, and programs uh, with government endorsement and with state-owned enterprises backing it to really drive China to that number one position, in my mind, in the world of sport. How important do you think that investment is in terms of what it means for the actual sponsorship industry, not just the, you know, the creation of new events and structures and pathways and facilities? Because China's always had a large population for a very long time, and large populations always present significant opportunities. So it always it feels a little bit like there's always been an opportunity there, but almost now it's like the investment is actually helping the world access it almost? Yeah, look, absolutely. It's, it's The potential is enormous, as you've, as you've mentioned, that there's a population, depending on which statistics we believe, of around 1.38 billion people in China. You've got a huge emerging middle class in the market, which, which starts to set the scene for a very compelling sponsorship industry and, and landscape. Uh, currently, again, number 11 ranked sports market in the world. And I think with everything that is taking place, through the government and the general administration of sports investment, uh, I think you know, China is going to be a top three easily within a decade. I think for, for local brands and international brands wanting to really uh, solidify positions in China, uh, the time is, is right now to really jump in uh, and capitalise on, I think, opportunities that are a great value uh, for a sponsor in the mainland. It's, it, it's clear just seeing the types of investments that we've seen. Alibaba and the IOC have partnered. It's an $800 million deal over 12 years uh, that gives access to uh, the federations leveraging Alibaba's e-commerce and retail platform. Uh, The FIFA partnership that was just done with Wanda is one of the biggest deals in in history with FIFA. Uh, And then you've got brands like Mercedes, uh, who really tapped in early into events like the ATP and WTA, the F1, obviously. Uh, and the reality is, is, as you said at the outset, with, with a population of 1.38 billion, the number of eyeballs that can be reached and the spend per capita in this market is just so significant that it's going to create enormous opportunities over the next decade for, for the sponsorship game. Yeah, certainly, uh, certainly a lot of people. Um, we've seen some leading Chinese brands, and you've mentioned them a couple of times in, in your responses so far, so particularly in Alibaba and Wanda Group. We've seen them invest and build partnerships with rights holders outside of China. It is, has that been driven on the back of the government investment um, and overtures to do so, or do they really see sponsorship outside of China as an important element in their marketing regardless? Yeah, a brilliant question. I think, in part, it is absolutely driven by uh, the state and you know a bit of a push to to get China into the uh, the world stage. Uh, but I do think that a lot of these uh, brands and a lot of the, the Chinese agencies also do genuinely see these investments as part of their overarching business strategy and their marketing strategy to to get more of a worldwide footprint and audience quickly. Uh, the growth ambitions of these businesses are enormous. You know, we just have to look at the acquisitions that Wanda, which one could argue essentially is a, a property and construction business, have made in sport in recent times. So with Ironman, with Infront, uh, their partnership with the UCI and cycling, uh, these are all significant moves uh, with global players to get a very quick footprint. Uh, Alibaba, as I mentioned earlier, same thing around their investments in rugby. You know, it's, yes, there's a genuine intention to to grow participation in rugby in China and to bring some market events into China, uh, but I also think that's a very smart strategic by uh, strategic move by Alibaba to get their retail e-commerce footprint um, out uh, and growing quickly uh, in Western markets. So I do think it's a combination, and I do think. Chinese brands are starting to learn from what major Japanese conglomerates have done for many years and more recent time, the big Korean players like Kia, Samsung, etc., um, and look at ways of pushing out beyond the domestic market internationally. 
I think that impact globally, so outside of China, is an important point. So given the size and the potential of the Chinese market, what influence do you think their emergence will have on sponsorship valuation and just general benchmarking currency of sponsorships outside of China, so right around the world? How will it impact? Uh, look, I think it's a, it's a tough one to get a precise measure, but I think definitely you know, China is going to change the game, is, is my view. I think it's going to really impact broadcast and sponsorship rights valuations dramatically over time. You know, we just have to look at, again, some some key numbers, and apparently numbers don't lie, but 680 million internet users, 577 active users on social media. You know, it's a massive landscape. Uh, for sports investments uh, and for values to be driven up, I think, overnight, I think China have become world leaders in OTT investments with players like Tencent, Cena, Le Sports, Le Eco, PPTV. You're all really growing that uh, online, digital, over-the-top space. Uh, and you only have to look at the rights fees paid by Tencent, for example, for the NBA digital deal in China. It was $500 million over five years. Uh, for that deal, uh, you know, that is a new revenue stream for a global player like the NBA. Uh, and I think that's really going to shape uh, benchmarks for not just valuation of, of rights, but also how monetization ultimately plays out in the sponsorship industry going forward. What's the one thing you hope the Chinese market gets right from, from an executing sponsorships sorry perspective as they mature that other markets may have taken a while to get right you know maybe made some mistakes over the journey what's the one thing you hope china gets right quickly i'll be a politician i'm gonna gonna give you two answers here not one (laughs) number one i think is really uh genuine collaboration right i I think that having had uh, the benefit of of working across Asia-Pacific now for quite some time. Obviously, we've got uh, some good examples of collaboration in markets like Australia and, and some of the more sophisticated deals in, in a market like Singapore or Hong Kong. Uh, but generally speaking, it's quite disconnected. There's not a lot of collaboration between a rights holder uh, in this part of the world and uh, the brands and agencies who are then activating the, the rights they uh, are getting entitled to. So, I think China has a, a great opportunity now to ensure that rights holders are really effectively partnering and collaborating from day one, not just getting a contract signed and, and handing over a check, but then really partnering to, to collaborate on the journey of activating and, and making sure that both parties benefit from the entitlements that they have. And then I think the second is really measurement. I think, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of Asia has been around chairman's choice or state intervention and in sponsorship decisions. Therefore, there's been a real lack of maturity around needing to measure uh, the types of returns or benefits that can be delivered. I think what we're now seeing is brands, both mainland Chinese brands plus international brands, really demand from rights holders better visibility into the types of returns they're going to get. Uh, and I think that's something that that China can lead the way in because I think it also took Western markets quite some time to really get to the bottom of quantifying these returns. So so they're the two, measurement and much tighter collaboration between the parties. Very good. For non-Chinese rights holders and brands, what are a few of the larger cultural differences that they, they really do need to be aware of before they go rushing into this big opportunity in China? Look, it's really it's really having a very clear understanding of who their consumer is and who the sports fan is uh, for their property. Right at the end of the day, you've got roughly eighty percent of the urban Chinese market being very interested in watching or attending sports. That's only second to uh, their interest in travel at the moment. So you've got this massive market potential, but there are huge nuances in the consumer behaviour between what you see in a tier one city like Shanghai and a tier three city like Yancheng, which is extremely close from a proximity perspective to, to Shanghai. Uh, that's language, the dialects they speak, that's the type of spending power they have, that's the specific sports and events they're interested in. So I think getting that level of understanding as a first step is 
very critical and being realistic about then the potential uh, for the sport or event that you're looking to bring in. You know, at the end of the day, the Chinese consumer is, is really fickle. There's not a lot of loyalty uh, and they're very unforgiving. I think you quite often, as they say, one chance in China. And if you get it wrong, it's highly unlikely they're going to re-engage. So, so that's the key. Understand the consumer, understand the sports fan and be very, very clear about what you want to accomplish. I think that's an interesting point around understanding the differences between cities because in a lot of what we would consider mature sponsorship markets, they're, they're reasonably homogenous, aren't they? I mean, people will watch football right across the country and in the summer watch cricket right across the country. But in China, it sounds as though it's quite different. Yeah, look, absolutely. There's, there's massive differences uh, in China in terms of engagement with sport. You do see football still uh, dominate and basketball kind of number two, but you do have very distinct differences as you go through the different uh, tiers of cities in China in terms of the move away from in somewhat, some ways more Western type sports to then you get into the, the rural tier three and four cities and it really switches then back to sports like table tennis and much more heavy interest in badminton, for example. So it is really about understanding the, the landscape and the different uh, characteristics of, of the cities uh, and making a choice. At the end of the day, some of these tier three cities, the definition today, I might be slightly out, so forgive me for that, but I think it's roughly 700,000 to 3 million people is the one of the criteria to be a tier three city still. So but these aren't small cities, uh, but they do have very fundamental differences about uh, what they're interested in and how they would be prepared to engage and consume sport in those cities. So even with a good understanding of the, the differences between the cities and, and the cultural differences, with non-Chinese brands, given that Chinese sport isn't consumed all that much in markets outside of China at the moment, are Chinese rights holders and brands better served on focusing internally or is there actually a big opportunity for non-Chinese brands to do well in sponsorships in China? Look, great question. I think there's definitely, uh, and we've seen the opportunity, as mentioned earlier, to invest outside of China as part of their growth strategy. Uh, but for rights holders now, I think uh, the focus is, has shifted markedly towards improving the quality of domestic leagues. And there's, there's certainly been significant investment and, and enough press coverage about the Chinese Super League and what they're trying to accomplish there. But you're also seeing significant moves in the, the CBA, the Basketball League, the Volleyball League. Uh, and I think you know, both local brands and non-Chinese brands can definitely make those investments into local sports. Uh, but again, I think they've got to have a very clear understanding of, of the audience they're trying to target uh, and what benefit they're going to get. The, the viewership is up. Sort of sports like the CSL across both uh, streaming platforms and traditional linear TV. Um, but again, you're picking the right sport uh, and the right audience is going to be the crucial thing. You spoke before about your hope that with a maturing market will come a, a, a focus on objectives and measurement. From an objectives perspective, what types of objectives do Chinese rights holders currently focus on helping brands achieve and which ones are those are currently producing really good results? Well, I think the, the most logical one is what jumps out and, and that's really, you know, as the market domestically is still fairly nascent in terms of sophistication. I think the biggest focus now when I talk to rights holders in China or brands is around eyeballs. It's it's really about capitalising on the viewership of sports primarily through linear TV and that's again primarily through state-owned broadcasters like CCTV uh, but also the streaming play, the online play uh, is becoming crucial. There's just such a plethora of fantastic platforms in China now through the Tencents and, and other players uh, that it's become the primary focus for anyone investing in, in sport and the local market. Uh, and that's really it for me now. I think it's all about reach uh, and getting to those eyeballs in the uh, most direct way possible. How do brands tip their, uh, dip their toe in the water in China, or do you think maybe they should just go big now while the the properties are somewhat undervalued and, and entrench themselves in the landscape now? 
I think the timing is right now. I really believe that. I think that at the end of the day, uh, properties are somewhat undervalued at the moment. Uh, some of the global marquee properties, I think, have, uh, have got the pricing right and are extracting the, the value they would like to extract. But I think many are really still finding their way and therefore there's a, a good opportunity to get in. Uh, I think it's going to just get harder and harder to really get associated with the marquee events over time. Uh, I think premiums will go up for those events, obviously, uh, and it's just going to get uh, somewhat cluttered for brands if they don't get in now. So I think your first movers uh, like Mercedes, who really got uh, involved in the sponsorship game very early across a number of sports, as well as obviously arenas like AEG uh, and Shanghai, uh, have really benefited from that in terms of the positioning of, of Mercedes as a brand in the domestic market and impact on sales. But I think brands like Rolex, Longines, SAP, UBS, I think all are benefited from getting into the market really early. So I think it's the timing is right. I think it's uh, it's a good opportunity to monetize those deals now and really create activations that resonate in the local market. All right. So I'm a brand, and I'm taking your advice. I'm going. I'm okay. going in. Are there certain types of brands? From, that from outside China, so non-Chinese brands, that you think a better place than others to enter the Chinese sponsorship space? Yeah, look, I think if I get, get the kind of crystal ball out and look at some of the Nielsen data and, and just a sense of the market, I think you know, the middle income uh, is growing rapidly. The disposable incomes they have has grown rapidly. Uh, and therefore, I think over the last kind of three to five years, there has been a, a significant push towards luxury brands uh, and you know, general consumer goods. So I think those two industries are the, the two that jump out uh, the quickest. So I think if you look at the, the very high net worth individuals, of which there are many now in China, obviously, they've got a very strong avidity towards automotive. Right? There's a, that prestige of owning a, a luxury car and Driving up and down the Bundan Shanghai is still uh, extremely appealing to mainland Chinese. And so I think you've seen huge success, uh, as I mentioned earlier, with brands like Mercedes, Porsche, Ferrari, really focusing heavily on sponsorship in, in the mainland, uh, not just in sport, in, in other areas as well. But I think automotive is, is another big one. Uh, I think financial services have had some success. You know, UBS with the F1, HSBC around golf. Uh, so there's also opportunities there. So I think they're the, the categories, I think, that have had uh, the most potential uh, in recent times. We see more and more uh, rights holders, especially from Australia, take their products over to Asia, so AFL, NBL, even Premier League football. Do you see this as a, a core requirement to truly embed a commercial partnership with a Chinese brand? Or is it just really simply an initial way of, you know, taking mid-season games or pre-season games and, and growing a potential supporter base and engagement and then going from there? Yeah, well, I, I think that these kind of exhibition matches, you know, pre-season, post-season, mid-season sort of matches have, have been good to drive some interest uh, in sport, particularly if you take a sport uh, that is unknown effectively in China, a sport like AFL. Um, yeah, there's no footprint. Uh, no matter what research we do, you, you would not see AFL resonating. And I, I think it's been a good move uh, for AFL to grab some awareness and grab some interest. Uh, I think the reality, though, is it's it's a long-term strategic move, right? And I think we've seen you know, football, uh, particularly the European leagues, have significant success attracting major sponsorship investment. But it's, it's been a journey. I don't think it's happened overnight to Manchester United or Man City or any other clubs. Uh, it's been a real journey. Uh, basketball is the same. I think you know, the NBA really put a foot in the ground over a couple of decades ago in China and have really built from that. Uh, so I think for uh, sports like football and basketball, there's a logical affinity with the local market. I think for some of those new sports, be that AFL or NFL now talking about some matches in China, uh, I think it's a massive play, uh, but it's got to be a long-term journey and they're going to have to be prepared to invest uh, and uh, stand the test of time to really get results, both from a fan base expansion uh, and then potential commercial 
uh, sponsorship opportunities with Chinese brands. Those earlier comments about China's potential are nearly always focused on sport, and rightly so. You know, Nielsen Sports, and it's a it's a report on the on ten trends in sport, um, and and particularly when we're discussing sponsorship and the opportunities there. But apart from sports, what what's your take on what areas? Other areas outside of sport, you know, entertainment, leisure, are maturing in China and that brands should maybe take a closer look at? Look, I, I uh, probably shouldn't give out my details after this call if anyone is <laughs> listening uh, who has an interest in uh, non-sport. But, uh, Claude, I remind you that we don't edit it very much too. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. So look, any eSports fans out there, you're going to kill me, but uh, you know, I don't consider eSports to be a sport. Um, even though it has that title, um, but esports is huge. Uh, the reality is that you know, Tencent acquired uh, Riot Games and the, the League of Legends uh, into their portfolio. Tencent have the world's biggest gaming portfolio, uh, and the interest levels in esports in China are going through the roof. So uh, there's massive, massive interest there. They've got the World Championships coming up for League of Legends. Uh, in uh, quarter four this year, uh, the, the final being played out at the Bird's Nest Olympic venue in Beijing, and it was a sellout. And I, I can't remember in how many minutes they sold out that stadium, but complete sellout to uh, to watch the League of Legends uh, World Championship. So I think that whole esports and gaming industry is going to take off. I think some of the numbers we currently hear about the size of the industry are a little bit um, more significant than I think reality, but uh, for brands, you know, it's clearly an area uh, in China and in the region that is uh, a growth area and is uh, one that is very appealing uh, for many brands. So that's definitely one. Uh, and then there's also been a massive uh, increase in the number of events happening around general food and entertainment type fairs uh, in China. I think you know, it's it's tightly correlated, obviously, to the middle income growth and their uh, increasing interest in travel and food. Uh, and there's been some some real success in that space. So I think they're the they're the two uh, esports, which isn't a sport, but uh, esports is number one. And I think food and entertainment number two. Um, and for just a note for the listeners, uh, if you didn't catch the episode where we looked at. Uh, esports in in detail with Thomas Ravalid, then uh, just head to sponsor.net and go back through the show notes. Uh, interesting chat, um, and we'll pass on uh, Claude's details to um, Thomas so they can have a further debate on whether esports really is a sport. Now, Claude, we know <laughs> that rights holders have focused a lot on content creation over the past few years, particularly, and we know the, that that good ones collaborate well with their sponsors on that front. And you nominated. That that is something that you hope China gets uh, right early on, that that collaboration. I'm interested in how similar the Chinese population's appetite is for content versus what we see in other more mature, maybe sports sponsorship markets. Is it is it an emerging appetite? Is it the same or is it far greater than what we know? Look, yeah, look, tapping onto what I just mentioned about e-sports, right, I think the, the gaming industry is an example of uh, the appetite, and it's it's insatiable. Like to me, uh, they're they're ahead of the curve um, when it comes to a comparison between mainland China and mature markets. I think they're they're ahead of the curve. You know, they've got uh, about 430 million sports fans in China. They have, I think, the most sophisticated uh, e-commerce platforms in many way available in the world, as well as OTT platforms. You, know, you look at how. Uh, sophisticated uh, platforms are even, you know, WeChat and just general e-commerce trade is just so simple now in China that I think you have this environment now that is just extraordinarily compelling um, for rights holders to tap into. And, and I, yeah, I just think it's a goldmine. Uh, they're incredibly online savvy. And I think anyone who doubts the maturity of the um, platforms available in China, I don't think I've spent enough time there. I think every time I go there, uh, I really look at uh, you know, so-called mature sporting markets and I compare the platforms that they have access to to what China has, and, and I think they pale in comparison. So I think um, yeah, that's where really there's a massive opportunity. Uh, I think the trick, as I said earlier, is that collaboration now to make sure that 
that actually leverage those platforms of the audience uh, is where the, the maturity piece comes into play. So insatiable appetite greater than uh, more mature markets without a doubt. Uh, it's just how they capitalise on it now is the key question. So sticking with that point around platforms and different platforms than other more, what we say, mature sponsorship markets, we know that Chinese citizens don't enjoy the same online freedom as, as some other countries. So how do non-Chinese rights holders and brands who are entering into that Chinese sp- sports and sponsorship market, how do they take into and what do they take into consideration when creating content and wanting to get it out there to the market? Look, great, great one. I think um, you know, I, I grew up uh, playing team sports rugby, which is uh, in a dire state in Australia these days. But uh, you know, the point I would make is uh, you're growing up in a team sports environment in China. You have to team well. If you think you can come in and do it alone uh, and you know, be a, a rights holder, a brand, and try to wander in and be successful, it just won't work. You know, so it's all about creating the right team. Uh, making sure you've got the right local engagement and that you partner, 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 uh, and do it effectively. You've, you've really uh, got to understand the way business is done, trying to do it you know, the, the, the American way or the Australian way. It's just going to be a path to failure or disappointment. Right? You have to get under the covers uh, of, of how the state-owned enterprises work and how the administration of sports works get to the, the bottom of partnerships with players like Tencent and really understand what makes them tick. Uh, and that takes time and really requires deep local expertise and, and relationships to, to navigate that. So you know, at the end of the day, I think China is relationship-based and uh, that that journey just takes time to build. And so it's, it's really about being prepared to invest in that time and energy uh, to develop the relationships uh, and particularly build those relationships with the key players in the media space, both the uh, traditional broadcasters as well as the uh, OTT players and the agencies who who uh, intersect with those. Claude, very insightful chat on what is a very, very intriguing market and obviously a massive opportunity. If people want to get uh, in contact with you, find out more about uh, Nielsen, what can they do? Uh, look, the best way you can find my uh, stunning image or mullet on uh, LinkedIn is uh, the easiest. And then step two, uh, NilsonSports.com is probably a great spot to find out a bit more about uh, what we do and how we do it. Claude Ringwet, Managing Director Southeast Asia and Greater China at Nielsen Sports. Thank you so much for taking us inside sponsorship in China. Pleasure. Thanks very much for your time, Daniel. Awesome chat with Claude and thanks again for his time in helping us understand and starting to navigate the Chinese market. If you want to connect with Claude, simply head to the show notes at sponsurf.net and head to the resources section and then the podcast where I've provided a link to his LinkedIn profile. And of course, there you'll find a link to Nielsen's Commercial Trends in Sports 2017 or you can visit Nielsen directly at nielsen.com. Now for Mark's chat and his take on what the emergence of China means for the sponsorship industry, including four things you need to know. Here's Mark. Mark Thompson, what do you like to read before heading to bed? Anything special? Oh, all sorts of things, mate. But um, Anything work-related? Are you fiction or non-fiction bedtime reading? I'm always a non-fiction reader. Really? Never fiction books, ever. Yeah, me either. I've never read a fiction book. I'm a staunch believer that uh, fiction books are for movies, so don't worry about it. Just put it straight to movie, we'll watch it, we'll watch it on a movie. Yeah. So if you're non-fiction, what sort of things are you reading? Anything interesting of late? Well, normally I'm, in, I, I'm a big believer in sort of successful people's autobiographies, however... Daniel Oyston, my way. No? <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. Well, no, it, it, you've missed a bit of that title. My way or the highway? Yeah, that, yeah. that was implied. Yeah, right. No, but lately I have been enjoying um, some industry papers that yes. have been released, always released earlier in the year. Uh, Goes in the pile, got to get to it. Exactly yeah. right. And uh, the latest is the uh, the 10 commercial trends in sports paper uh, for 2017. Yes. As re- released by Nielsen. When you read it, I'm guessing your mind goes somewhere always about sponsorship how does this impact sponsorship i I read everything i read is um some people say i'm obsessed woman's weekly sponsorship i know 
Yeah. It is. How could I get endorsement from Woman's <laughs> Weekly? <laughs> so your mind goes immediately to sponsorship when you read those commercial trends? Yeah, always. Mine and does too. Well, just, it's actually, no, not, not immediately to sponsorship. It's just, okay, these trends are really interesting. What does it mean for sponsorship? Mm. How does it impact sponsorship? What does it mean for sponsorship professionals, for the industry as a whole? Is it going to change the way the world is viewed in, in our in our business? So it is, you know, quite a valid question to ask ourselves, especially with what we do. So, you know, the one I was reading... The first one that I I read, it's a pretty short book, a little <laughs> ten ten uh, ten trends with about a half page each. Yep. But I only read one a week. Yeah. So <laughs> you get to sound the words out. It takes me that long to read, <laughs> mate. Um, the, so the first one I I was reading is the emergence of new sporting powers led by China. So what we're going to do is each month we're going to have uh, you writing a blog and talking about one of those trends and how it applies to sponsorship, what people need to know, what they can apply, what they can learn from it, and then we'll back that up with a, an interview from a Nielsen Sports staff member. But as you said, yeah. the first one is about China. Yeah, I mean, and the interesting thing about the interview is is that um, it is the relevant expert within that global business. Yes, on this, so it's it's going to be very much eye opening and educational, much more so than my take around how it impacts sponsorship. Let me tell you. <laughs> so what's what are what are the headlines around China? What, 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 let's start off. Let's verbatim. What's the trend that Nielsen have identified? Look, the the the, the trend is talking about new markets led by China. So it, it identifies that there are some new players, big players coming into the commercial world. Um, you know, it identifies that the next three Olympic Games, winter, summer um, included, it'll be hosted in Asia. And as well as the Rugby World Cup. Rugby World Cup in Asia. The next two FIFA World Cups are in Russia and Qatar, who are, you know, emerging superpowers in, in this space. And, you know, undeniably, you know, those emergence of those regions will unlock new audiences, new participants, um, potentially new superpower national teams down the line. Uh, but then the biggest thing is opens the door to huge groups of previously non-accessible, non-engaged people. So what does it mean for sponsorship specifically? Look, um, China is the, the biggest new superpower. Um, their government has invested $813 billion US dollars. That's um, a lot of money. Over the next eight-year period. So you know, roughly $100 billion a year, probably more early petering down um into sport you know focused on being successful and you know there's a couple of uh olympic sports that they've invested that money into but you know other sports such as football uh, new professional league basketball rugby, rugby yep yep all those sorts of things so you know for me what does it mean for sponsorship? Now, there's one there's one case I sort of, when, when researching this sort of blog I came across, which is the Chinese Basketball League. And all other sports, all other sports in this sort of Chinese space are, are engaging experts outside of uh, China. You know, agencies such as, um, you know, RP Silver or, you know, the, uh, the Alibaba group or whoever to, to help them move into this space quicker. Chinese basketball are actually trying to do it themselves. They're trying to upskill from within by using external resource to teach them. So teach them how to fish rather than have someone fish for them. Yes. And they're commercially trying to own their own patch. I think that's where everyone will end up. But regardless of the approach, there's kind of three key things that it means um, in terms of opportunity for sponsorship people and, and you know within our industry. So for brands... It gives brands an opportunity to connect with newly engaged, impressionable and probably undervalued properties at this point in time. Agencies, you know, obviously they can establish a market presence early in the piece. They've got the expertise to, to impart onto that market and they can grab market share right now while the pie's being mm. sliced up. And then obviously for sponsorship professionals, which is who we mostly talk to, it's, it's to impart, you know, the opportunity to impart their knowledge, expertise, but also expand professionally, new cultures, new opportunities, great new experiences by taking leadership roles in those markets. There's probably there's not there's not often opportunities for sponsorship professionals to go and trailblaze, is there? No, it might be a new part of a sport like big bash or you know maybe a 
a competition splinters or something like this. But this is true trailblazing. This is really upskilling and imparting your knowledge. And if you do that well in uh, a region like China as it emerges, and then you come out of that region, professionally you're going to be pretty well placed. Well, and, and not only are you going to take ideas that are proven and existing from where you are, the, the opportunities and methods and information that's going to come your way because of the resources at your hand mm. you know you're going to even if you return in five years time you're going to, you're going to be in some, some invaluable knowledge there's various superpowers or emerging markets but china's particularly of uh, significant importance isn't it it is or make the population alone um, i don't know how they count them all <laughs> Um, yeah. By the time they finish the census, it's time to start it again, surely. Yeah, exactly right. It's like painting the Harbour Bridge. But you know what? what's actually my, most impressive from the uh, the paper is that the, the study to the engage, the levels of engagement in sport in that population, nearly 50% mm. of people within that population are engaged in sport. So that highlights the opportunities to exist. And, and you know, China's developed population is the the biggest sort of opportunity but there's also you know chinese have a proven commercial appetite and ability to invest which we've seen that they are proven to adopt and utilize and lead technological yeah, development leads the important word there exactly mm. right but then also up um recent of recent time there has been to some extent the freeing up of the class structure over there which you know if you want to get into chinese politics it's a um snoozeworthy <laughs> research topic but I, I went through that and uh but you know with regards to access to sport they've actually allowed the middle class um freed it up a little bit and and you know that's where the big and they've got a growing is. disposable income mm-hmm. and appetite for travel exactly. western culture exactly right mm. and and you know it's it's a quite an amazing um you know growth story over there anyway just on that sort of front but you know w- what that means is china's about to explode but you know, with some guidance from the developed sponsorship world, it has the potential to be game-changing as well because there's going to be new industry, um, there's going to be new technology, there's definitely going to be a change in how brands view the sponsorship world, activate and respond um, to sponsorship opportunities in those new markets. I don't want this to come across as flippant, Mm -hmm. but that's, you know, we've been talking about this for a while, the opportunities there, you can't deny the numbers, you can't deny the investment, you can't deny sports and rights holders taking opportunities there, the Chinese basketball growing from the inside. We all kind of know that and we come, we keep covering off old new gra- uh, old ground all the time. Yep. What, what can we actually do with that as sponsorship professionals? How do we, what do we do with it apart from just understanding it? Yeah, look, I, I think you're right there and it has been talked about for a long time, but, it, but I think the evidence in terms of actually signing football players and actually getting leagues off the ground and, um, you know, doing, doing some, some things you know, on a large scale to set infrastructure to go that to me says they're about to go mm. and um when, when i look at that i think there's probably four things that sponsorship professionals should be aware of because you know if you want to be successful in this game you've at least got to have knowledge of, of what's going on yeah that's true <laughs> so so you know I, I think the first one is investment and the investment is it covers multiple things it's not just we're not just talking you know cash investment f- for you into china or for china back into you we're talking investment opportunities for brands, brands to invest, um, you know, campaigns. Obviously, there's a lot of strict laws over there, but you know, the right brands to invest in campaigns and, and access that market for rights holders and business owners within the sponsorship space, um, investment must be considered. But also, one thing I'd like to sort of mention there is I think more so than anywhere else, the investment has to be authentic. Mm. You can't just be going there because you think you need to be part of that, you know, conversation. It, it has to be part of a long-term strategic goal for your business. So if you're if you're a, a governing body of a sport and you think we need to go to China, why do you need to go to China? Does it actually mean growth for you? Does it expand your commercial opportunities, or is it just a distraction because you want to be part of this sexy new evolution? Mm. Yeah. So the authenticity has to be a reason. A why? Yeah, authenticity is re- really vital, and and also you know, people will see through it if you're not authentic. Well, interestingly enough, I've got on the list of podcast topics over the next um, – I've got some reading to do, some yeah. bedtime reading to do before <laughs> I can actually put the podcast together. But it came across a paper a couple of weeks, two months ago maybe, that talked about 
how people perceive certain sponsorships within markets and very yeah. much looked at that Chevrolet sponsorship of Man U yeah. and then goes right down into like individual uh, regionalised hockey competitions and the right types of sponsors and how the market perceives that. So, mm. um, you know, we'll certainly have that on the radar about authenticity and where you should be putting your money. Yeah, cool. And, and man, investment doesn't only come from the outside. So internal investment within China also presents an opportunity because, you know, if you're a, if you're a, a business that has no um, experience in dealing with these types of markets, you need to kind of have some sort of internal influence, access or, you know, joint venture um, to be able to sort of come in with some form of meaning. Very good. So authentic investment. Yep. The, f- the second one is, is knowledge transfer. So this is an obvious um, opportunity, and, and we'll use the Chinese Basketball League, which is led by Mao Yaoming, as, as an example here. But the new markets have a steep learning curve. You know, we, we know sponsorship is not as simple as people from outside the sponsorship space <laughs> make it. Um, it's just a logo on a shirt, it's fine. Exactly, it is. <laughs> and um, so but the investment available to those organisations means that they've got the resources to actually steepen that curve in terms of time frame and they want to and they want to and and they're 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 a proven learning culture Mm. so they will be successful so therefore those seasoned knowledgeable um, sponsorship professionals or organizations have a really rare opportunity just like you said before um, to play a leadership role and the transfer of knowledge into the emerging markets in a way that actually will influence the industry going forward so if you want to be an influencer or a game changer or, pack know. up, pack up the, the 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 kids in the house. Off you go to China, <laughs> or other one of the other markets. Yeah. Yeah. Fly in, fly out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So investment, knowledge transfer, collaboration. Yes. It will just this sounds really big for me. I, I'm excited about this one. The col- I mean, the collaboration is, in, in, funnily enough, in, in the blog I wrote, it's only two and a half lines. Yeah. It's the shortest <laughs> part of my blog, but uh, maybe you should have helped me out there. Well, but, I, you know, I think it's a great opportunity for um, study tours over yeah, there, yeah. conferences, bringing Chinese um, – you know, delegations, for want of a better phrase, to Australia on study tours to collaborate, see how you can mm. work together, which ties in with the point prior, which yeah. is around the knowledge transfer yeah. right. stuff. You know, sports management universities, mate. Yeah. Like, unbelievable opportunity there. And, uh, and you know, it's only natural that the emerging markets are going to want to reach out to the already established markets, bring content, accessible audiences to further their own growth opportunities. They're going to they're want to grow outside of those emerging markets by being part of the global conversation. So those collaboration opportunities are, are authentic and, and are not one, it's not a one-way street by any means. Now I'm looking forward to the day when uh, an established, well-supported, followed, financially viable Chinese Tier 1 sporting competition brings a game to somewhere like Australia. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing this, I think, probably the start of that type of thing now we've got obviously arsenal in australia at the moment they're playing tonight against the wanderers they get on a plane tomorrow to beijing and they do the same thing in over in the china probably just as many people in beijing that support them or china that support them as as the as england well probably more but huge no they're playing a couple of games over there as well which is i think yeah the first step to what you're just saying arsenal's a huge global brand Mm. and and the fourth one's employment so as per above, an expanding new market will always call for experienced professionals to lead the way. So, you know, if you've got adaptable skills and, um, and you see some opportunities to enter as a leader and you've got the authentic desire to move into one of these emerging markets and maybe do it tough culturally and, um, you know, within this sort of community for a while, then I think, you know, employment opportunities are going to be, for a short period of time only, quite accessible but mm. also quite rewarding. It's pretty exciting. On a scale of one to ten, how excited are you about how it's going to change the sponsorship landscape? Look, I'm. Oh, I'm, he, people can't see this, but he's his eyes opened wider, his tongue came out, his 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 brow went up. He's excited. I'm yeah. going ten. You calling it a ten? Yeah, it is a Saturday afternoon. We're yeah. doing this, and I just saw someone <laughs> walk past the office with a beer, so um, that was why I was licking my lips. But yeah, I am excited. You know what? I'm 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 as excited about. China, who have who's dominated this conversation, as your Russias and guitars and, and those sorts of other Asian markets as well, because they're all going to have a different influence on the mm-hmm. on the world space. And I think what we'll see 
which is the most exciting part for me, is a real sophistication around how brands activate in different territories. Well, there's so many cultural mm-hmm. considerations that they need to, to take on, isn't there? But also appetite, like, you know, different products. So, you know, you look at, let's just, you know, off the top of the head, somewhere like Unilever, right? So many different brands at their disposal might have a have a deal with, a, you know, with an agency or somebody and the different products, the way they promote those products, the way they advertise those products, the way they price those products, mm. everything is just going to change and it's going to be so exciting and, and interesting to watch. But as sponsored professionals, as I said earlier, we all need to actually know what's going on so we can adapt ourselves. Yeah, very good. So, And if you want to read through uh, all of that um, in slow time, head along to the blog, sponsor.net, under the resources, just head to the blog section where you can go over all of that and take copious notes. I love the photo you've put on the top of yeah, the blog this week. Yeah, uh, little Chinese flags, Superman, yeah. ties in with the superpower. Sometimes yep. you get lucky and find a good photo. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Cheers. That's about all we have time for in episode 39. Don't forget to head to sponsor.net to read Mark's blog or to download Nielsen's Commercial Trends in Sport 2017 paper. Of course, if you aren't getting the blogs or the podcasts direct to your inbox each week, then just shoot me an email or sign up at sponserve.net. If you want to connect with me, then you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston or drop me an email at daniel at sponserve.net or on Twitter using the handle at sponserve. And of course, you can connect with Mark Thompson on LinkedIn or email at mark at sponsor.net. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you want a shout out, just like Mitchell did, be sure to get in contact. We really do love hearing from you. If you haven't already, head along to iTunes, leave us a review. It makes us feel really special, but more importantly, it helps others just like you find the show and learn from others in the industry. And that's what this show is all about. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. for listening to the show for more episodes blogs and resources head to sponserve.net or search for sponserve on facebook twitter or linkedin